Good morning. The reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's on page 1145 in the Bibles. And we're going to start at verse 6. Let's pray before we read. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, the Bible. Please would you help us by your Holy Spirit as we read together this morning. Please would you deepen our understanding and our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning everyone. Thanks for reading that Beth. What springs into your mind when you hear the word wisdom? Whenever I hear that word I have an image of a kindly old man, white hair and a long beard, sitting sagely in the corner of a room dispensing pearls of uh, wisdom. In fact, it's not unlike the image many people have of God. The Chinese philosopher Confucius looked a bit like that, and he's widely believed to have had great wisdom. His sayings are often quoted today. Things like, it does not matter how slowly you go, as long as you do not stop. Or, and this one particularly resonates with me, old age, believe me, is a good and pleasant thing. It is true you are gently shouldered off the stage, but then you are given such a comfortable front stall as spectator. I looked up wisdom in the dictionary and discovered it means the ability to use your experience and knowledge in order to make sensible decisions or judgments or the store of knowledge that a society or culture has collected over a long period of time. So it looks like wisdom has something to do with experience and knowledge and using them both to make sound decisions. It allows you to make judgments 
about people, about situations, about problems. Well, I hope in the next few minutes you'll see what true wisdom is and how Paul shows that what the people of Corinth, or indeed the people of Chesham, may define as wisdom is not the same as what God defines as wisdom. Paul very much believes that real wisdom comes from knowing God. Before we get stuck into this passage, let me pray and ask God to give us his wisdom this morning as we look more deeply into his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. Help my words this morning open up the truths this passage contains and help us all be transformed by hearing you speak into our lives. We long to have your wisdom, Lord, so please help us as we seek it. In your name we pray. Amen. The Corinthian church to whom Paul is writing has a lot of problems. As we've learned in the last couple of weeks, the church was divided with factions developing around individual leaders. The moral standards of many church members were a good deal less than holy. There was a growing danger that something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ was being preached. Paul's concern is to get them back in tune with God so that the people in the church have, as he puts it, the mind of Christ. The similarities with our own situation in the Church of England could not be clearer. We too are members of a divided church as we wrestle with the issue of same-sex marriage and with how individual members and churches will deal with the leadership support for the blessing of such relationships. Factions have developed, not perhaps around individual leaders, but certainly around those who support a biblical view of marriage and those who promote a view of marriage more in tune with our current culture. It seems on the face of it that there are many different interpretations of what having the mind of Christ can mean in today's church. So how can we work out what God's wisdom is on this or indeed on any subject? Well, the first point Paul makes here is that the wisdom of God is radically different from the wisdom of the world. Let me say that again. The wisdom of God is radically different from the wisdom of the world. Look again with me at verses 6 to 8. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul says he's speaking a message of wisdom among the mature. And by that he doesn't mean that the mature Christians are the ones with white hair or even with no hair. Many of the people who look like that may well be mature Christians. But Paul is really speaking about all those in the church who are growing more Christ-like. So some of our teenagers here today would definitely be mature Christians as would some of our younger parents. 
The mark of maturity is more about how you are growing in your faith rather than the number of birthdays you've had. Paul is scathing about the wisdom about the wisdom of the current age, which he says is coming to nothing. In his context, he was probably thinking about the great orators of the day who enjoyed celebrity status. They had wisdom in bucket loads about how to navigate society, about how to get on, about how to make a name for themselves. But, says Paul, that is worthless when put against the wisdom of God, the truth of the gospel, the truth of eternity in heaven. The parallels with our current situation are all too obvious. Whether it's same-sex marriage, gender issues, or simply the ability of our politicians to tell the truth, we should constantly measure societal attitudes against God's wisdom. We should look at what the Bible teaches on these things and ask ourselves if the wisdom of this age is true wisdom or simply something which distorts what God wants for us. Paul says God's wisdom has been hidden. Hidden, that is, until Jesus came to reveal it to humanity. Like Paul, we're living after Jesus came to earth. So we have seen who he is and can therefore have a clear understanding of God's wisdom. We also have the distillation of his wisdom written down for us in the Bible. All Christians can have this gift of wisdom. It's not academic or bookish. It's about real, practical transformation in people's lives. You can be a truly gifted Bible teacher, but if your life and the way you interact with others does not reflect the love of com- and compassion of Jesus, you do not have God's wisdom. People with little or even no education can truly have God's wisdom. God's wisdom is a gift, just as his grace is. It's much more than head knowledge or information. It's a transformative gift given to all who truly trust in the saving power of Jesus Christ. Paul ends these three verses with that devastating verse 8, in which he aims a direct attack on the wisdom of the current rulers of his time. This was wisdom which had put Jesus to death in a violent and horrific crucifixion. That's all the evidence Paul needs to demonstrate that the wisdom of the age cannot truly be wisdom. From verse 9, Paul starts to unpack how the Holy Spirit plays a key role in enabling us to have God's wisdom. Verse 9 is a quotation from Isaiah 64. And Paul makes it clear that the Spirit is instrumental in revealing the wisdom of God to us. Let's read again verses 10 to 12. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. 
all of us can only truly know our own thoughts. I can know what other people say, but can I know for absolute certain what other people think? So Paul is pretty much stating the obvious when he says in verse 11 that no one can know the thoughts of God except God himself. Only God is capable of revealing his will. We are unable to know what his will is on our own. God chooses to reveal himself to us. We cannot know anything about God, still less about God's wisdom, unless God provides us with the tools to do that. And one of the most important tools he chooses is his spirit. As we know, God exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's the uniqueness of that trinity, one God, three persons, that allows the Spirit to know the thoughts of God. The Spirit knows the thoughts of God because he is God. And as verse 10 makes clear, God has chosen to reveal his wisdom to us through his Spirit. Now, one of the many wonderful things about becoming a Christian is that at the very moment you submit to Jesus, the Son of God, as your Lord and Saviour, the Spirit of God comes to live in you. That's what Paul means when he writes in verse 12, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. It's an astonishing and amazing privilege. God gives us the free gift of his Spirit so that we might know more about him and grow in his wisdom. The more you think about it, the more mind-blowing that is. The God of the universe, the God who made everything in creation, the God who has existed and will exist for all eternity, allows us, frail, weak, sinful human beings, to have his wisdom. Of course, we'll never fully have his wisdom, but just the fact that he enables us to move in that direction is both awe-inspiring and humbling. In verses 13 to 16, Paul makes a sharp distinction between those who have the Spirit and those who do not. Look at those again with me. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Only those who have the Spirit of God can fully understand the things that come from the Spirit of God. Let me give you one example from my own life. Before I was a Christian, and because I came to faith in my early 40s, I can still just about remember what I thought back then. 
I knew the story of Jesus, but I didn't have a clue about its true meaning or significance. I knew he'd been crucified and Christians believed he'd been resurrected, but I neither accepted nor understood what that meant. I didn't have the spirit. Indeed, it seemed ludicrous to me that a good man like Jesus would willingly go to his death in his early 30s just at the very moment his ministry was taking off. Now, of course, I understand much better the full, incredible significance of those events. It was only through the Spirit coming to live inside me, just as he does in all who truly believe in Jesus, that I was enabled to do that. It was a gift from God. Paul says that the people with the Spirit are subject to more than human judgments. While they are definitely subject to the laws of the land and operate within the structures that govern society and are very often judged by their peers, they will also be judged by someone greater than any human being, by the very spirit, the very God whose spirit lives in them. But at the same time, the spirit allows those people to make godly judgments about the attitudes, beliefs and norms of the culture they live in. That was true for the Corinthians and it's true for us. Because the Spirit of God is active within us, prompting us to read the Bible, to pray, to serve and to interact with other Christians, we can have an understanding of God's wisdom. It's quite hard to get that message across today without sounding preachy, especially when our prevailing culture is now so individualistic. Don't judge me seems to have become the rallying cry for those who know their lives fall short of God's standards or who choose to live in ways which harm themselves and those closest to them. But by the proper use of the judgment given us by the Spirit of God, we can help others understand their need for Jesus. This judgment is not condemnatory or dismissive or punitive. No, it's helpful and restorative. Because we know God's grace and forgiveness, we long to share that with others so they too can enjoy the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. However, just because a person seems kind or joyous or even spiritual somehow, it doesn't necessarily mean they are truly spirit-filled. People who truly have the spirit of God working in them will do their very best to understand the wisdom of God and accept it, even if that sometimes seems like a big ask, and even if that goes against what their friends or the prevailing culture think. With the help of the Spirit, we need to work out who is truly speaking God's wisdom and who is speaking a worldly wisdom. That's what Paul is telling the Corinthian church to do. Measure the gifted orators trying to make a name for themselves against the wisdom of God and see who you will follow. The same is true for us. We should measure our current culture against the wisdom of God and see who to follow. When it comes to the big decisions in life, who should I marry? Which church leaders should I trust? Who should I vote for? We need God's wisdom to help us decide. One test of a church leader, for example, 
could be asking what they have to say about those bits of the Bible our culture sees as difficult. Will they ignore them? Will they reject them as, to use Paul's word, foolishness? Will they say there are parts of the Bible that are no longer relevant or applicable? The fact that Paul is emphasising this point so much tells you that God's wisdom is very different to the wisdom of the world. That's why it's hardly surprising that the Bible, rather than backing up our culture, will often contradict it. This section ends with the incredible statement, but we have the mind of Christ. That sounds utterly preposterous, doesn't it? Is the mind that I have cluttered with thoughts of family, of work, of church, of golf, of friends, of travel, of decorating, of gardening, of whether Spurs will ever win a trophy in my lifetime, and a billion other things, really the mind of Christ? I never wake up in the morning and say to myself, wow, isn't it great that I have the mind of Christ? It's hardly the statement of a humble man, is it? Yet incredibly, it's true for all those of us who truly follow Jesus. We do have the mind of Christ. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are growing more like Christ every day. It's the Spirit who prompts us to open our Bibles, to pray, to make that phone call to the friend who's struggling, to go the extra mile for others. It's those things which make us more like Christ. But as Paul well knows, we are also sinful human beings. We too often turn away from Christ, switch on the TV rather than pray, open a trashy novel rather than the Bible, forget people who have less than we do. It's in that tension that the Holy Spirit works, drawing us back to Christ and helping us seek both repentance and forgiveness. If you're not yet a Christian, can I encourage you to think what it might mean for you to have the, life of, the mind of Christ? To see the life, death and resurrection of Jesus as the pivotal and totally transformative events in history. To see Jesus as the perfect saviour who can restore you to a proper relationship with God and through the forgiveness of your sins offer you an eternal place in heaven. These really are mind-blowing and life-changing concepts. I'm talking about big things here and not things that can be dealt with in a minute or two. But please take the time to explore the claims of Christ. Why not come along to the Hope Explored course running here at the moment? What have you got to lose? If you are a Christian, then this passage is very challenging. We are called upon to be different, to be distinctive, to stand apart from modern culture. That can be very difficult, especially for young people. But that is what God calls us to do. When these issues come up at school or at college, at work or on the train home, in the pub or at the gym, God calls us to stand up for his truth, even if that risk of ridicule, condemnation, or persecution. He has given us a framework on which to build our lives, and some parts of that framework are at odds with modern culture. 
but the wisdom of this age is worth nothing beside the wisdom of God. When the wisdom of the world conflicts with the wisdom of God, there is no doubt which we should choose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit and the way he works within us to open up the wisdom of God. Please, Lord, do not let our minds stand in the way of the Spirit. Help us stand firm for you, even when that means going against our culture, our peers, and even our friends. Help us immerse ourselves more deeply in your word, in prayer, and in serving others, so that we too may grow in wisdom and truly have the mind of Christ. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.